Well, when I first came to Phoenix with my family, uh, my biggest uh, fear, my wife's biggest fear, actually, we just talked about it all the time, of coming to Phoenix was uh, scorpions. And uh, she just almost didn't want to move here, almost didn't come here because of scorpions. It was that big of a fear. And as the husband, I would just, before we got here, I was like, yeah, scorpions, like out in the desert, like true desert, but they're not going to be in the city where we live. They're not going to be in our house, those types of things. And uh, sure enough, our, our first week in Phoenix, unpacking our boxes, I hear a shrieking scream from my wife in the other room. And there is a scorpion on her toe. So there are scorpions in Phoenix, and I, like any husband, just ran away, right? No, I ran into the fray, and I ran into that room, and uh, we're unpacking boxes, just moving into Phoenix. This is our welcome to Phoenix moment, right? And wife's got the scorpion on her uh, toe, and I just look around for something heavy, and I grab my systematic theology book, and I destroyed that scorpion, right? I smashed it. Now, amen, glory, hallelujah. Thank God for that systematic theology book. Now, I read it later on, too, but I used it to protect and defend my wife in that moment, right? Now, why tell you that? Well, the the most loving thing I can do for my wife, I love my wife in that moment. The most loving thing I can do for her to show her that I love her is by destroying something that would harm her. Now, John, in the book of 1 John, we're in a series in the book of 1 John, week six in that series, Beloved. He's been talking about that God loves us. John is the beloved disciple of Jesus. He's the most dearly loved disciple of Jesus, but, but John doesn't hoard that title. No, five times he calls us the beloved. He says, we are dearly loved by Jesus. But as we talk about today, that one of the ways Jesus shows his love for us is by destroying things that would harm us. In fact, the sermon title, if you take notes today, is Destroying the Devil. John's going to explicitly say that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil because he loves us that much, right? So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to go through three questions. Again, if you take notes, uh, I have three questions for you. They'll be on the screen. We're going to walk through them one by one. The first question is, who is the devil? John mentions the devil four times. Who is the devil? Uh, What are his works? Second question, how does Jesus destroy them? And the last question, how do we participate? So we'll walk through the text first, and then we'll walk through those questions together. So 1 John, grab a Bible, chapter 2, verse 28 is where we're going to start. We're going to go all the way to chapter 3, verse 10. If you're at home uh, watching online, welcome in as well. Grab your Bible, get it in front of you. 1 John, chapter 2, starting in verse 28. We're going to read the whole context. It's a lot. I'll tell you that off the, get, the front, but we're going to read the whole context, and then we're going to walk through those questions. So read along with me. 1 John 2, 28, it says this, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what, will, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. 
Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, verse 10 should shock you a little bit, right? Read it again with me. By this, it is evident that we are children of God, who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Who does not practice righteousness is not of God. God uh, John rather makes a stark contrast. There's children of the devil and there's children of God. There's nothing in between. In our culture, we'll often talk about there's casual Christians and, well, I kind of like Jesus. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. I wouldn't say like he's the only way, the truth, and the life, but Jesus is my homeboy kind of thing. Like we kind of plow this middle road in our culture, in our church. Church is. John doesn't. He says they're children of God and there's children of the devil. And so we got to talk about this devil. Who is the devil that he talks about? I don't want to be a child of the devil. I don't, I know you don't want to be either. So we got to talk about who is this devil? Well, John mentions him four times. The rest of the Bible talks about him a lot. He talks about him sometimes as Satan. That means the, the accuser, slanderer, right? Uh, first Peter 5 8. You can take these notes down if you want to read about the devil on your own, okay? First uh, Peter 5 8. Peter calls him our adversary. He's our enemy. We have an active enemy working against us. It's Satan. It's the devil. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.4 calls him the God of this world. Matthew 4.3 calls him the tempter. John will say later in 1 John 5.19, he's the evil one. C.S. Lewis will say it this way. We live in enemy-occupied territory. That is what this world is. The reality is, since Genesis 3, we've seen this enemy at work. Genesis 3, how does Eve take a bite of the apple? There's a deceiver there. There's one who is there to say, did God really say? Did God really say you, could eat this, you couldn't eat this apple? And it wasn't just about the apple. It was attacking the character and nature of God. Did God really say, can you trust what God says? Is God good? There was a deceiver from the beginning, the evil one, this Satan, this devil, this accuser. And that's who John's talking about. And so that's the devil. What are his, what are his works? Well, four times he uses the word devil. Ten times he, he uses the word sin or sinning. That the works of the devil is sin. First John 3, 8 says it specifically. The devil has been sinning from the beginning. Now sin, a lot of us know, sin is literally missing the mark. If you can picture a target, the middle of the target is God's holiness and perfect righteousness. Sin is anything around that that misses the mark. But God, John goes a step further. Look at verse 4 of chapter 3. John says sin is lawlessness. 
Now, he's talking about two different things there, or two-part things. He's talking about that sin breaks God's law, like God's Ten Commandments, the 613 laws in the Old Testament, that when you break God's law, you are sinning. But it's not just that, that John is describing a lawlessness. Think anarchy. Think chaos. That God has set up the world to function in a specific way. That we're meant to follow him. We are meant to trust his character and nature and live according to his word. And that when we sin and we break God's law, that invites lawlessness. That's bringing anarchy and chaos in our world. If you look at our world in 2020 and you're struggling with why is there a deadly virus? Why is there racial divide? Why can't our politicians get along? If you struggle with that and think, why, 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 why is there cancer? Why do these things happen? It's because sin brought lawlessness. It brought chaos. It brought anarchy, right? And so our world and our lives are tainted by not just the devil, but by the works of the devil, which is sin. So how does Jesus destroy the devil and his works? Look at verse 8 with me says it, John says it really plainly. He says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So how does Jesus destroy the works of the devil? How does he destroy the devil himself? He shows up. He appears. God became flesh. He came to earth, right? He was born as a baby. And the reason he showed up, God became flesh. We call it the incarnation. It was also an invasion, he came to destroy the works of the devil. Now, I imagine God coming to earth, Christmas, we're about to celebrate that in a couple months. The end of 2020 is coming, by the way. Anybody know that? Doesn't that seem crazy? We're Christmas. Like, I made plans for my Christmas Advent sermon series the other day. It's happening. And I know if we took a survey of, like, what's Christmas about, a lot of you who are Christians would be like, it is about God becoming man, Jesus coming to earth, like it's this great thing, and Jesus came to love the world and rescue the world and, and teach all these great things and do all these great miracles and give us an example, show us what God is really like, and those things are all true, but he also came and was born as a baby, and Christmas happened because he wanted to destroy the devil and his works. So as you ask about what's Christmas about to your friends and family, if they don't say destruction, they're not quite biblical, right? Because John is saying, hey, if we want to get really biblical, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Just like with my wife. He loves us. Yes, he does. He came because he loves us. But out of his love, he wants to destroy what will harm you. What will harm you is Satan and sin. So he destroys Satan and sin just by his appearance. And he doesn't just appear as a baby and it's all gone. You all know that. He lives a perfect life. John describes Jesus' perfect life. Chapter 2, verse 29, he says Jesus is righteous. Chapter 3, verse 3, he says he's pure. 3, verse 5, he says in him there is no sin. So Jesus' appearance and his perfection, the power of his perfection, overcomes Satan and his works, and his sin. If you think about this, we are flawed people. We are not perfect. We are not what John says, righteous, pure, in him there is no sin. That's Jesus alone. We're flawed people. And so Satan, because sin entered into the picture, sin entered into the picture, lawlessness entered into the picture, we are victims of sin. We have our flesh, we have spiritual warfare, and when we're tempted to sin, sometimes we don't do it, but sometimes we do. And, and Satan and his works and his sin can continue to reign. 
Jesus shows up, he's perfect, he's righteous, he's pure, in him there is no sin. What happens? Right after Jesus' baptism, one of the first things he ever does, he goes out into the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan. Satan says, hey, be prideful, be powerful, use your power in such a way for your own pleasure. And he tempts Jesus, but what happens? Jesus isn't flawed by sin, the game has changed. He doesn't give in to that temptation. He overcomes that temptation. Just through Jesus' perfect life, he begins to defeat Satan and sin, just with his life. But it doesn't stop with his life. It goes on through his death and resurrection. A good verse to write down, to mark at home, Colossians 3.15. This is what happens in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Colossians 3.15. He, that's Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities, and get this, he put them to open shame. He triumphed over them in him. Through the cross and through the resurrection, as that sinless, perfect, righteous, in him there is no sin, as that person, Jesus Christ, died on the cross, he took the sting out of death and sin and Satan. As he rose again, he overcame sin and Satan and the grave. Amen? That's what happened. Jesus appeared. He lived the perfect life. He died the death in our place to disarm the rulers and authorities, to put them to open shame. He triumphed over them. He does not just take away the penalty of sin through the cross and resurrection. He also takes away the power of sin. That now, because you trust in Jesus, hey, he did live. He did appear. He did die. He did resurrect in my place. He is victorious. He is disarming. I'm no longer just flawed with my sin. I'm faithful because of the Holy Spirit of God in me. That that's a reality if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And it's not just, well, I don't go to hell when I die and I go to heaven. It's not just that you're saved from the penalty of sin. You're freed up from the power of sin. You can actively be on the front lines and war against sin. And God can not only just destroy Satan, the devil, and his enemy, and the, 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 his effects, rather, and, his, and the sin that he produces. God can not only just destroy that through him, God now destroys it through him, through you. Because he's with you. You have his Holy Spirit. He's gone before you. The power of sin, you need to hear this this morning, no longer rules over the life of the believer. It has been disarmed. So God, through Jesus Christ, through his appearing, begins to destroy the devil and his works. He does that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He does that through us. So how does he do it? That's the last question. How do we participate in this destroying work? Look at verse 9. We first have to get this out of the way, because I know some of you heard this, and you haven't been thinking about anything else. Verse 9, look at the verse. It says, he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, some of us are contributing, like, how do we participate? We're thinking, Tim, I contribute a lot to this, this war of Satan and sin. I contribute a lot to that, but it's me sinning. And as he says, he cannot keep on sinning if he's been born of God. I'm a Christian. I put my trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But I, like, I sinned this morning. Anybody with me? I got sinned last week. I mean, what, well, he said I can't keep on sinning, but that's actually what I am bringing to the table. That's how I'm participating. I sin. Like, I do some righteous things every once in a while on a good day. Tim, I came to church today, and sometimes I, I, I'm on a, if I'm feeling really good and I took my vitamins, things work out. I do righteousness, but most of the time I sin. And he says, 
You can't keep on sinning because you've been born of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, we just have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. Remember we said that already? Anytime you read something infusing in Scripture, like, hey, it seems like this one verse taken out of context is saying this, you want to bring it with the other verses. John makes that really easy for us. You could read that and think, hey, is he talking about perfection? All I do is sin. Maybe I'm not a Christian. You just have to read earlier in the, in the book. Right? John says, somebody who says they do, do not have sin is actually calling God a liar. He says, we confess our sin. We have it. We confess it to God, and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. So we know John's not talking about perfection, but he is talking about progress. As he talks about over and over practice, if you look at the text with me, you see this word practice, sinning, practice, practice, practice. That's in the continuous present. What he's saying is that this is someone who is not repentant of sin, who continues on sinning and they shrug it off, who maybe you've been this at some point in your life, you commit that lust, and before you used to pray for forgiveness right then, before you used to experience this holy conviction and guilt, but now you look at that pornography and you're just like, well, I mean, I feel a little bad about it. No, I'm not supposed to do it. But repentance doesn't happen until a week later or until a month later. Maybe it doesn't happen at all. It's that conflict you have with your spouse, and you speak words of anger over her or him. And before, like early on in marriage, you were like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry I said that. I know I shouldn't have said that. But now like five years in, 10 years in, 20 years in, 30 years into marriage, you just, you speak words of anger, maybe even verbal abuse over your spouse, and you're like, man, she deserves it. Look at all this stuff I'm doing in my life. I, I work, I pay the bills, I do all these things. She can't appreciate me. Like, and you, just, you just let it slide. It's when you're a parent and you speak those words over your kids, and immediately when you say it, you know that wasn't loving, that wasn't righteous, that wasn't resembling their father in heaven. Before, oh, I'm so sorry, guys. Please forgive me. I apologize. I repent of my sin in front of you. But now you're like, man, kids are crazy. <laughs> Parenting's hard. I just, I mean, I just, like, just y'all go to bed. Like, I yelled at y'all. Maybe one day I'll, like, ask for forgiveness. And you become comfortable in your sin. That's what John's talking about. He's talking about repetitive patterns of unrepentant sin. People in that day, in John's day, who had been, he says, don't be deceived, who had been deceived. Remember we talked about the Antichrist last week? Like, go back and watch that one on YouTube, Okay. People had been deceived into thinking like, sin's not that big a deal. Yeah, he said, if we confess, he'll forgive us, right? And he's saying, no, 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 no. That repetitive, sinful pattern, comfort, shrugging off that lust, pride, gossip, and greed, that is someone who must not know God. Because if you know God, that sin will bother you. You will have some holy conviction about that. You will repent of that sin. And so, so how do you know if you're not a Christian? Well, Tim, I got sin in my life. Do you have repetitive sin in your life that you just shrug off? And maybe you need to assess. John wants you to assess. It's God's grace to you to assess. Well, then do I know God? Maybe some of you, you would say, maybe I don't. I kind of came to church. I do some right things. I do some wrong things. I hope they weigh, other, weigh each other out in the end. And maybe that's your reality. And John is, is saying this to you because he wants you to be born of God. He wants you to put your trust in God. 
And so he doesn't say this to scare you, but he does say it to sober you. Have you put your trust in God? Are you walking in him? He says specifically, are you abiding in him? So we all need to assess that. That is part of what John's talking about. But how do we participate in this? Once we realize we do know God, once we start to repent of sin in our life, how do we participate? We embed ourselves in our position that leads to a practice. Look at uh, chapter three, verses one through three with me. John says this, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. Listen to who you are, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is it did not know him. Beloved, you're dearly loved. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. So you're God's child but you're also destined to be like him in glory. When Jesus returns, his second appearance, you will be like him. You will see him as he is. Your body, your mind, your heart will no longer be tainted by sin. That day's coming, amen? That's your reality if you know Jesus Christ. You may feel defeated right now. I'm sinful. When will this lust, pride, gossip, and greed ever go away? It's going away when Jesus comes back. John says, this is your position. This is who you are. You are God's child, and you are destined for glory so that, verse 3, look at that verse, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure, that a child of God who is destined for glory one day Your body will no longer be tainted by sin. You start practicing that now. That's what that word practice is there so often. John says, this is your position, so start practicing it now. This is where you're headed in the future. Glorified body, no sin, mind, heart, body, free from sin. This is who you are, child of God. This is where you're headed. Start practicing that. The way we practice that primarily is abiding in Christ and his word. Look at verse six. It says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. That word abide means to remain. John loves that word. There's a whole chapter in his gospel, John 15, that talks about what it means to abide, to abide, to remain, to live in God, not to camp out in God, to live, to to set up shop, to put things on the wall, to move in, to abide with God daily, to remain in him. We talked about that last week, that we practice looking like who God says we are. We practice our position through abiding in Christ. Now, this is really important because I think for many of us, as we look at Christianity, as we look at our Christian life, especially as we talk to people who don't know Christ yet, we think about the Christian life, especially passages like this that talk us so much about Satan and sin and how we're not supposed to do those things. We think about the Christian life when we read passages like this purely in the way of abstaining. We start thinking about, like, I'm not supposed to keep sinning, stay far away from the devil, all these things, and you start looking at your life, okay, well, I need to stop doing this, I need to stop doing that, I need to stop having sex before marriage, I need to stop drinking too much, I need to stop lying, I need to stop going on social media and being envious, I need to stop sinning, and that's partly true, you do need to abstain from those things, but Christianity and what John is saying as a whole is not just about abstaining, it's about replacing It's about abstaining from some things and replacing them with God. 
That's why he talks about righteousness. It's not just not sinning. It's not just trying to stay as far away from sin and the world as possible, and hopefully you don't get stained by sin. That's not merely the goal. That is part of it, but it's repentance. It's turning away from sin and turning to God. It's a abstaining, but it's also a replacing. It's like for me, uh, a few months ago, I decided I'm going to quit drinking coffee. Hold your applause. I know. Uh, I was a one to two cup a day guy in the morning. It was what I needed. If I didn't have time, I put it in a Yeti and took it with me. Anybody testify? Okay, some of you drink coffee. Some of you are more spiritual than me. Uh, I drank coffee every morning, one to two cups a day. And I decided for a few reasons, I'm going to quit for three months. Now I'm 10 weeks into that. So pray for me. But here's, what, here's how I'm doing this no drinking coffee. Like I haven't, my wife brings coffee with like the cream in it, and she puts it right. She's like trying to tempt me. No, she doesn't do that. <laughs> but I haven't had one sip of coffee, right? Here's how I'm doing that. I didn't just abstain from coffee. I replaced it with something else. It's called green tea matcha. And it's glorious. Like I don't know if I'm going to go back to coffee, to be honest with you. We'll see. That's how the Christian life works. Don't sin, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. Okay, so I need to put all these things away, put all these things away. It's not just abstaining. God's better than that. The gospel is more glorious than that, amen? It's stop sinning and replace it with the righteousness of Christ. Replace sinning with abiding. Move in his house. Here's how it works. I don't want to commit adultery on my wife. Right? Anybody with me? I, I don't know a lot of people who do, but a lot of people commit adultery. Right? And I don't want to, I've been married to my wife for 14 years. I don't want to commit adultery on my wife. You know how I don't commit adultery on my wife, though? Is it every day, writing 10 times out, do not commit adultery, do not commit adultery, do not commit adultery? Is it every day thinking about all my lustful thoughts and get those out of my mind, get those out of my mind? No. How do I not commit adultery on my wife? I abide with my wife. I pursue my wife physically, emotionally, spiritually. I carve out time. I tell other people no so I can say yes to my wife. I plan a date night. We've been married 14 years, and I still plan date nights. I abide with my wife. I love my wife. And guess what happens? When I'm out on a date with my beautiful wife, when we're connecting spiritually, emotionally, when we're talking about the joys and trials, and we're connecting, living with one another in that way, I'm not thinking about not committing adultery. I'm thinking about loving my beautiful wife. Adultery is nowhere to be found on my radar. Why? Because I'm abiding with my beautiful wife. Listen, God is is gracious. He's glorious. He says to you, abide with Jesus Christ by his spirit, through his word, come close to him. That's what the whole book of John, first John is about. Hey, you can know him up close, personal, intimate. You're the beloved. You're his child. Come close to him, closer, live with him, remain in him, be with him. And the more you do that, the less you think about sinning. The less you think about that lust, as you get to know what the love of God is, you spend time with him, lust doesn't seem so attractive anymore. That envy, that comparison seems silly as it is. You get on Facebook and Instagram and you start gossiping about people and getting angry at people and you're just like, this is dumb. Why do I do this? Instead of scrolling and my mind and heart 
becoming envious and playing the comparison trap. I could be content spending time with my creator. He's invited me by his Holy Spirit through his sinless son. Why am I doing this? Listen, I believe a lot of us could start winning. Many of us feel like we're losing in this fight against Satan and sin. I believe a lot of us could start winning if we focused on abiding and not just abstaining. That's what John is saying. No one who abides in him keeps on sin. You get close to God, that sin will go away. He will become greater. It will become smaller. That's the way it works. So we need to start practicing abiding. Now, some of you say, well, Tim, I have some sin in my life. I have some sin in my life right now. And when you talked about earlier that lust, gossip, and greed, that anger that has overcome me and I've gotten comfortable with that, and I shrug it off and I say something to my friend, I said something online that I should not have said. I, I did something with my body, with somebody else's body, I should not have done. And now that I think about it, I don't know if I repented. I mean, I used to, but I've grown a little cold. How do you need to practice abiding? You practice abiding by repenting. You hear this from John, it sobers you. Man, sin should start coming up in your mind, in your heart, what you did last week, what you've done in your life. And you should go quickly. We don't have time to waste. You should go quickly and bring that to God. And you should turn away from it. Yes, confess it, all, all the ugliness of it. Name it before God, a good and gracious God, and ask him to forgive you. But don't stop there. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew 6, 33. You start to seek him. You start to fix your eyes on the author and perfect your faith. You start to abide with him. But before you can do that, some of you today, your first step needs to be repenting. It needs to be laying all the sin before the feet of Jesus. You need to say, as the psalmist said, search me, O God. Know my heart. See if there's any anxious ways in me. See if there's any offensive ways in me. And some of us, we need to take that time to do that today. Your first step of abiding is repenting. That's what we're going to do. We're going to take communion in a moment. I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to give us a moment to begin to to win this battle against Satan and sin. And to do that by abiding and repenting. And so, listen, you could very easily take this moment and bow your head and think about football. Right? You could think about what you have to eat for lunch today. You could think about, I don't know if I agree with what that guy said today. Who does he think he is? You can think about a lot of things. I would beg you in the name of Jesus, and I think John would too if he was here. No, 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 come close to Jesus in this moment. Repent of your sin. Abide in Jesus by first repenting of your sin and get close to him. Don't miss this moment to experience the up-close, personal Jesus Christ that John so desperately wants you to experience. Let's pray together. Father in heaven. I thank you for the truth in your word. God, I thank you that it doesn't return void. God, you just said a lot in your scripture. Some of it we made it go back to later today, this week, and rehash, and okay, Satan, sin, what is this all talking about? And God, I pray that's a good desire to have. I pray for the men and women watching this and the ones who are watching online that, God, we wouldn't just have this one hour today of conviction and let it pass. We would go back to your word. We would abide in it. We would get with other believers and abide together with your people by your spirit. And God, I pray right now as we prepare to take communion, 
God, as you have no doubt brought sins to mind, that we would begin to confess them and repent of them. Because, not just because they're bad things and we want to get away from bad things, but because we see how good you are. We see how glorious you are. We see how beautiful it is that who we are in you, that we're the beloved. If we've trusted in Christ, even with our sin, we're the beloved. How how could you call us that? We're your children. How could you, how could we be so honored to be called a child of God? That we have a future destiny with our body and mind and heart no longer tainted by sin. How could you do that for us? As we look at your goodness in that way, as we look at our position, we would start practicing repentance of the sin that is out to harm us. God, right now, uh, we would start confessing. We'd stop listening to me, start talking to you. we start confessing that sin. God, you love us. You love us so much that you will destroy things that choose to try to harm us. And God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would begin to destroy the sin in our lives right now. In the name of Jesus, we pray.